Hello and welcome to A Novel Process, the podcast about what it's really like to write a book. My name is May Jasper. Okay, so this is episode four of the podcast where I'm writing a novel and every fortnight I make an episode to tell you guys how it's going. And this episode, I'm going to start off with a confession. I changed the name of the aliens in the book. And doing that made me realize roughly 20 minutes worth of stuff. That's right. This entire episode is going to be about the fact that I changed the name of the aliens in the book. Um, One of the things that it made me realize is the reason why most people don't make a podcast about a book while they're writing the book, which is because it introduces an audience at a stage which is much earlier than you would normally have one. When you're writing a thing, you are making something that eventually will go out to an audience and and when it goes out to an audience, it needs to convey what is currently in my brain to a group of other people and the way that I will do that is through language. Therefore, part of the process of making the thing is also working out how to describe the thing. And in some ways, language ends up being both the thing I'm making and the process by which you receive it. If I were a sculptor, I would have a chisel and a sculpture, but now I just have words. So I'm often making changes in the process of writing that are designed to benefit an audience in the long run. But because you guys are an audience in the short run, what you end up with is confusion. And I'm aware of that. I'm aware one of the barriers to this podcast, but I'm aware that one of the things that may make it difficult to really get absorbed in is the fact that it keeps using weird fantasy words that I made up and that potentially having as few of those words as possible would make things easier for you guys. You will already have experienced probably that each time you come to this podcast every two weeks, you have to re-remember what the words that I'm using mean. You have to remember, oh yeah, Zykoft, that is a crystal that May invented that emits heat and light. And then you have to remember that Zykoftikans are the aliens that live in caves that Zykoft lines the walls of and take advantage of that heat and light. And then you have to remember that Zykoftika is the planet that Zykoftikans come from. And all of those words are bananas and crazy, and you are having to make effort to remember them. And then if I come along and go, oh, by the way, I want to change the name (laughs) so that it just creates a whole other level of crazy. So I wouldn't do it unless it was important. And this is the next level of realization, because sometimes in the past, when I have read sci-fi and fantasy books, which I love, I have sometimes thought to myself, God damn it why do they have so many dumb words in there? Yeah? Like, if you read Dune, if you read Lord of the Rings, God knows, there's a lot of bizarro fantasy words. And sometimes you think to yourself, I feel like this author's just having a good time. Certainly when I read Tolkien, part of what I think to myself is, you can tell this guy's a linguist. Jesus. And so there is an argument In the same way that for you as an audience during the writing of the thing, it would be easier if I stopped changing stuff, there's also an argument that says that the eventual audience would be better off if I limited my number of crazy words. There is an argument 
that would say, May, you've already set up a scheme here. You've got a made-up rock called Zykoft. You've got the people who live near the made-up rock and their name references Zykoft. And you've got the planet that everybody comes from and that also references Zykoft. That's easy for me to remember because it's just one banana's word with stuff added to it. Why add to that? The reason to add to it is because of what language is. Go with me here because I'm going to get a little semiotically metaphysical and uh, I'm not uh, I'm not a philosopher to the extent that people usually talk about this stuff are. Um, so my brain is a bed of writhing snakes as I try to explain this to you. But language is a way that we describe complicated things, not just in the sense that I could sit down and, and give you a, an explanation of a complicated concept and exactly how it works. I could sit down and tell you, here's how a car works, here's how all the individual processes in it work, here are all the elements of a car, here are what seats are, here's what the steering wheel is, here's what the window is, how, here's how it works, here's what you can do with it. I can tell you all of that. But the good thing about language is I can also just say the word car and every association that you already have with that word will come up in your brain. Yeah, It's, it's almost like a code that we have agreed upon to describe things, to save us time, yeah, so that when I'm describing my car, I don't have to say my box on four wheels with four seats and a steering wheel that allows me to go places. I can just say a thing and you know what it is already. And it's the same in sci-fi and fantasy where certainly in sci-fi, I am constantly having to describe new things, new Aliens, new rocks, new technology. There is so much stuff that that has to be described. And if you want to argue that we should be limiting the number of crazy words, what you're dooming yourself to is every time me using a multitude of words to describe something that could be quicker. If we make the effort to build up an association with a new word, if we learn a vocabulary word, we save time in the long run. This was hammered home to me, and this is the reason why I changed the name of the aliens, because I was thinking about the aliens' technology. You will remember, if you've listened to previous episodes, that the idea of these aliens is that they are biotechnologists. They use the tissue of other living creatures to make their machines. And the idea was that these are aliens who live in a cave. They're very limited in the resources that they have. So probably when they started doing this, they would have been making those machines out of their own tissue. And again, if you listen to last week's episode, the idea is that they can regrow their own tissue very easily. They have this amazing ability to regrow limbs, for example. So they can take their own biological material, turn it into machines. That's a cool, unusual thing about them. I want to be able to describe that well. And then at some point in their history, they made enough machines that they were able to leave the cave and go outside. And then they encountered another species, which is a species of squid people who are very adaptable, who are able to change their own physical self, their own cells of their physical body to adapt to whatever the situation requires of them. And that, that tissue to someone who makes machines out of physical tissue is like a super weapon, is, like a, is, is a hugely important resource. And I've been thinking a lot lately about 
you know, that resource and all the different things that you could do with it. And every time I came to reference that resource in my notes, I would write down the words squid people tissue. That's too many words for something that is an essential concept in my novel. I can't write squid people tissue in the book. There has to be a word for that. And even though that is going to require my audience to to learn a new vocabulary word, in the end, it's going to be simpler because it's going to increase their comprehension. But that concept, the reason why that's so many words is because squid people tissue is actually two concepts, right? It is the concept of squid people and it is the concept of the stuff that makes up their bodies, their biological material. And the reason why people turn into Tolkien, let's be real, is that in real languages, we would have two totally different words for the person, the the squid people, and for the thing that their bodies turn into. For example, you can have a cow and you have beef. And you have no, there is no instinctive association between those two words. If you're learning English, it's very possible not to realize that those two things are in any way connected. There's no hint in the language. And that's because English is a language that's made up of so many other languages and has history and and context built into it. But if I'm writing a sci-fi novel, I get to have as much context as I want. (laughs) I can make words as simple as I want them to be. So I'm now inventing a word for the squid people and for the stuff that squid people turn into when they die, and also probably the thing that squid people turn into when they die should in some way also be related to the word for what my aliens turn into when they die so that we can understand that they are two similar things as well. I think what I'm trying to get to here is that although adding lots and lots of crazy words into fantasy makes it complicated, it's actually trying to make it simple. It's a way for me to convey to the audience simply that things are connected in a way that language doesn't usually do. So this is all leading around to me saying that I couldn't use the word psychoftican in this context. If I needed to have something that I could use to form a new word that would mean dead psychoftican, or psychoftican tissue, I can't see a way to add something to that word and still make it retain its wordiness. It's just going to turn into a like one of those German words that's like 17 letters long. It's not going to have an ease of communication into the brain of an English speaker. So I had to rename them. And what I ended up with, just out of interest, is that the squid people are called the cyber. And they're the thing that you make out of the, the, the dead tissue is cybersol. Similarly, the aliens who were called Zycophticans are now called the Gaelk, spelt G-E-Y-A-L-K. I mentioned that because I've already been told that Gaelk sounds like gay ilk, and I will tell you that that's not 100% unintentional. But, you know, it's fun. It's fun for me. Um, Anyway, (laughs) so when you talk about the dead tissue of a Gaelk, it is Gaelksol. And those are a whole lot of words that going forward you're going to have to remember, but I'm trying to help you. (laughs) What's also interesting about the process of of coming up with words in sci-fi is that you sort of have this process that you have to go through before you can get to the word, and we've already done step one. Step one is work out, do I actually need a word for this? 
Is it going to help to make up a word? Step two, once you've passed that barrier, is how are we using this word? Because again, we have the opportunity to make the language do a lot of work for us. It can tell us, uh, tell the reader, not just what the thing is and what it's associated with, but we can use it to indicate who's speaking, to indicate something about the speaker. So if, for example, we're thinking about the word, in my case, I have uh, this situation where you've got aliens speaking to humans. Every word that I come up with, is it the word that the human has come up with to describe the alien thing? Or is it the word that the aliens use to describe the alien thing? Are those two words the same? They don't have to be. You know, the word for, and I'm not going to forget all of my French, but I'm pretty sure Alemania is the word for Germany. There we go. Thank you, Tom. It's the word for Germany in German. <laughs> or, no, in French. That's the word for German in French. It's not what German people call Germany. It's not what English people call Germany. And we have built up a whole lot of associations around strings of letters to the extent that, yeah, it's, it's important to work out who's using what word for what. In this case, in this particular book, I have added a level of complexity for myself when I was really trying to make things simple. Let's put it this way. When you're, when you're writing a fantasy or sci-fi book, one of the things you're doing is picking your battles, yeah? Because everything is different. Every single aspect of an alien culture is different. So how many of them do you really want to wrestle with? How many of them do you really want to dig into and think about? If you're Tolkien, you want to really think about language. I am not Tolkien. I really didn't want to think about language. I really didn't want to spend a lot of time, for example, having my aliens learn English when they came to a new country. I didn't want to have a lot of time thinking about my humans potentially learning another language. Didn't want to waste time on it. So I made the aliens telepathic. Sometimes other sci-fi writers solve this problem in other ways by having like a universal translator or something. And I now realize why they do that because while telepathy feels like it's doing a similar thing, it's allowing the alien to speak directly into a human's brain and not having to mess around with translation, the problem is then when I'm thinking of a word to describe my aliens, if they're telepathic, they may never have needed to come up with a word. They have no spoken language if they all use telepathy amongst themselves. They may have no written language. So when they are speaking to my humans, am I writing dialogue for them? Or am I just trying to convey what that experience would be like where the alien is putting images or concepts directly into the mind of the human. When I thought about that, what I decided was I'm not Tolkien. I don't want to wrestle with this. I don't want to spend the whole book, again, having that extra effort of describing the images being put into someone's brain rather than just using words. Words are a shortcut. Let's make the aliens use dialogue directly into somebody's brain. Let's give them that ability even though, to some extent, it makes no sense. The advantage that gives us is that now I don't have to worry about whether Gaelk is the word that the humans use for the aliens or whether it's the word that the aliens use for the humans. Everybody's using the same language because we're doing this telepathically, but we're using words, which makes no sense. Cool. So now Gaelk is the word for everybody. That's useful, except that how does spelling work for a word that I am making up for aliens that don't ever spell anything. 
What I mean is sometimes in, in fantasy, you know, you will have words full of apostrophes or you'll have words that use a lot of silent letters or words that use a lot of letters in a combination that we would not commonly do in English, a lot of KHs, for example, or, you know, Q but without a U after it, or a lot of non-standard English spelling. And that seemed to me like it wouldn't make any sense because the only reason that there are words at all is for them to appear in the mind of a human and all the humans that we're talking to are English speakers, so there would be no cause for them (laughs) to use unusual noises. Even, like, there's no, there's just no reason for it. In some other alien languages, you know, the idea is you're using them because the vocalisation that the alien is using in their speech is not something that we use in English, but that's not going to happen here because they're not speaking. So the rule became when I was thinking of new words that they could only look like English words. (laughs) And even more than that, I wanted to really simplify the way that we would think about vowels and, and the sounds that letters make. So no silent consonants, for example. It's no point having that. But also, in English, it is very common for the same vowel to make totally different noises depending on context. For example, if we think of the word ha, like like laughing, ha 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 ha, that's ha. But if you put that into the word have, then it's, uh, it's a different vowel. Ha versus ha. And the way that we know to modulate that is because we know that if you have a vowel and then a consonant and then an e at the end, then it's changing the way that that first vowel is pronounced. And we as English speakers know that it's not going to be ha-ve. We're not pronouncing that second e. We have a whole lot of stuff built up in our brains about that. Those kind of illogicalnesses to language, those kind of unpredictabilities to me seemed like something that would never happen in these words that they are inventing purely for the mind of someone. Yeah, you're not, this is not a word that needs to have thousands of years of history. It doesn't need to be pronounced in a weird way because the Normans invaded England in whatever. So the rule that I have applied is that all of my alien words the vowels are very regular. They're always pronounced the same way. A, E, E, O, U, always the same. And the only way that you modulate them is by having double vowels. So, for example, for those of you who are curious, Zykoft is spelt Z-I-C-O-F-T. And if it was Z-I-C-O-F-T, it would be Zykoft, always. I've led myself into the nest of snakes, but this is where you end up when you're thinking about language. I'm trying to get as much information into each word as I can. By making them simple, I'm conveying something about how the aliens communicate. At the same time, I want them to be simple enough to recognise, but they also have to be alien. They have to be totally unfamiliar. The word can't look like anything that we've seen in English because, again, we're trying to convey something alien. So what we've ended up with is a process now. Whenever I need to think of a new word, step one, do I actually need it? Step two, is it just an English word to describe something the aliens do or is it the aliens having an opinion on something? And generally I've solved that problem. It is always the aliens' word. Comforting. Even though the aliens would never use words, shut up. And step three, to come up with a new word, the first thing I do now 
is take the English word and translate it into Zulu. And then I take the end of the Zulu word, and that is the start of the aliens word. The reason I do that, that introduces that idea of unfamiliarness of alienness into the word without implying that the Zulu are aliens or that my aliens are Zulus, but rather just that 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 slight difference in language gives us a very slightly different way of thinking about how the letters are put together. But one of the cool things about Zulu that I'm kind of vaguely learning as I go along is that they at least from a written perspective, there's not a lot of times where they use consonants, they don't use sounds in what looks like an unpredictable way. Now, I say all that given that I'm not actually listening to anyone pronounce any of these words as we go, but it's familiar, but it's not. It's, It's using sounds that I'm familiar with. It's not having too many consonants in a row to make things confusing. It's not like reading German where I'm a little confused, it's a little rough, it's a little too many vowels in a row, whatever. This is very regular looking language to an English speaker and by pulling it apart and by moving it around, I can create what I hope are totally made up words that still look enough like words to be memorable and hopefully easy to use. So I apologise, Zykoptikans are now called Gaelk. It will be hard for you to remember for a few episodes, but I'm going to say Gaelk a lot, so hopefully that'll make it more memorable. And in the long run, I promise I'm trying to help. (laughs) Language is trying to help convey the snakes in everybody's brain to the snakes in everybody else's brain. And it is an insufficient tool to that task, but also the only one that we have. Anyway, that's what I've been thinking about for the last two weeks. I'll be back in a fortnight. In the meantime, you can keep up to date with the Nobles process on the Victorian Theatre Company socials or at the website, victoriantheatre.org. Have a good one.